All right, we're on. So welcome to a very special episode of... Yes, and story time with... And why is this such a very special episode, you may ask? Because I have, I do a magic X toy. Well, yes, but what day is it today? My birthday! Yay, it's your birthday! And it's the night on my birthday. <laughs> I have not got it all. I've gotten all my presents. Yes, we had a really fun day. And David is how old? Six. Six. David is six. And I got the shark back. Shark back. Know why it's a shark back? Why? Because it has pirate symbol, imaginary symbol, a shark pirate, imaginary symbol. Right there. But wow. That is so cool, honey. Okay, here we go. We are going to continue reading. Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. Do you know why it's called Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island? Well, the title of the book is just Treasure Island. Do you know who wrote it? Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah, that's why we say Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, because he's the one who wrote it. <clears throat> All right, we are at part four, which is called The Stockade, and chapter 16. Mommy, <clears throat> when you push down this, Whoa. that's so cool. Narrative continued by the doctor, how the ship was abandoned. All right, I am going to try to do the doctor's accent for this. We'll see how it goes. If it's too obnoxious, you just let me know. <clears throat> it was about half past one, three bells in the sea phase, that the two boats went ashore from the Hispaniola. The captain, the squire, and I were talking matters over in the cabin. Had there been a breath of wind, we should have fallen on the six mutineers who were left aboard with us, slipped our cable and away to sea. But the wind was wanting, and to complete our helplessness, down came Hunter with the news that Jim Hawkins had slipped into a boat and was gone ashore with the rest. It never occurred to us to doubt Jim Hawkins, but we were alarmed for his safety. With the men in, temper, in the temper they were, it seemed an even chance if we should see the lad again. Let me read that again. <clears throat> With the men in the temper they were, it seemed an even chance if we should see the lad again. We ran on deck. The pitch was bubbling in the seams. The nasty stench of the place turned me sick. If ever a man smelt fever and dysentery, it was in that abominable anchorage. The six scoundrels were there, sitting grumbling under a sail in the forecastle. Ashore we could have seen the jigs made fast and a man sitting in each, hard by where the river runs in. One of them was whistling Lillibullero, 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 I don't know, Lillibullero, I think that's a piece of music, it is a piece of music, but I don't know how it goes, maybe we can look that up later. Waiting was a strain, and it was decided that Hunter and I should go ashore with the jolly boat in the quest for information. The jigs had leaned to their right, but Hunter and I pulled straight in, in the direction of the stockade upon the chart. The two were who were left in in the direction the two who were left guarding their boats seemed to bustle at our appearance. Lily Bellaro stopped, 
and I could see the pair discussing what they ought to do. Had they gone and told Silver, all might have turned out differently, but they had their orders, I suppose, and decided to sit quietly where they were and hark back again to Lily Bellaro. There was a slight bend in the coast, so I steered as to put it between us. Even before we landed, we, as th we had thus lost sight of the jigs. I jumped out and came... I jumped out and came as near running as I durst, with a big silk handkerchief under my hat for coolness' sake, and a brace of pistols ready and primed for safety. I had not gone a hundred yards when I reached the stockade. This is how it was. A spring of clear water rose almost at the top of a knoll. Well, on the knoll, and enclosing the spring, they had clapped a stout log house fit to hold two score of people, which I think is twenty, twenty people. <clears throat> in on a pinch, and loopholed a musketry on either side. All round this they had cleared a wide space, and then the thing was completed by paling six feet high without a door opening, too strong to pull down without time and labor, and too open to shelter uh, the besiegers. The people in the log house had them in every way. So he's describing... Uh, a house that was built on the island that they're calling the stockade. And basically, you know what a fort is, honey? Yeah, it's kind of like a very small fort. Um, it's It would be like our house, but if we had um, cannons pointed out of the windows. Yeah. But smaller than our house, probably about the size of our kitchen. Maybe we could make something that only that has a sensor that senses bad guys. And it, it could break all windows, or windows could open up like cannon flaps, and, and guns could, real actually guns, could fire at them. Wow, that would be amazing, honey. We'll probably nerf guns. Why with venom? Whoa. No poison. Nerf guns with venom or poison? Venom. Venom. Venom, envenomated nerf guns. All right. <clears throat> People in the log house had them in every way. They stood quiet in shelter and shot at the others like partridges. All they wanted was a good watch and food, for short of a complete surprise, they might have held the place against a regiment. What particularly took my fancy was the spring, for though we had a good enough place of it in the cabin of the Hispaniola with plenty of arms and ammunition and things to eat and excellent wines, there had been one thing overlooked. We had no water. I was thinking over this when there came ringing over the island at the cry of a man at the point of death. I was not new to violent death. I had served His Royal Highness the Duke of Cumberland and got a wound myself at Fontenroy, but I knew my pulse went dot and carry one. Jim Hawkins is gone, was my first thought. Jim Hawkins? So uh, the doctor came ashore... He was very worried about Jim because Jim, remember Jim decided he was going to go ashore with the pirates and he got to shore first and he ran off and then he met Ben Gunn. So, but Dr. Lucy doesn't know that. He was worried about Jim's safety. And do you remember? So we just heard a scream. He heard somebody scream and it sounded like they were like it was a death scream. Do you remember who screamed? We learned that I think in the chapter before last. There were two good guys on the island. Silver was talking to one of them. 
and they heard one other guy scream when the other pirates killed him. They were too honest. Yes, you're right. Do you remember what their names were? Alan and Tom. Tom, yeah. And Alan was the guy who screamed because he was killed by the pirates. It is something to have been an old soldier, but still more to have been a doctor. There is no time to dilly-dally at our work. So now I made up my mind instantly, and with no time lost, returned ashore and jumped aboard the jolly boat. By good fortune, Hunter had pulled up an, uh, pulled a good oar. We made the water fly, and the boat was soon alongside, and I aboard the schooner. I found them all shaken, as was natural. The squire was sitting down as white as a sheet, thinking of the harm he had led us to. The good soul, and one of the six forecastle hands was a little better. There's a man. Hmm? What hand? Um, was little better, not a little better. I misread it. So they all heard the scream. So the squire is, um, is extremely upset uh, because he thinks that they've led the, he's led them all to their death. Trelawney. and um, one of the one of the six forecastle hands was little better. So one of the other guys who had stayed on board was just as upset as the squire. Which I mean, they heard a horrible scream. It's understandable. There's a man says Captain Smollett, nodding towards him. New to this work, he came nigh hand fainting, Doctor, when he heard the cry. Another touch of the rudder, and that man would join us. I told my plan to the cap. I told my plan to the captain, and between us, we settled on the details of its accomplishment. We put old Redruth in the galley gallery be- between the cabin and the forecastle, with three or four loaded muskets and a mattress for protection. Hunter brought the boat round under the stern port, and Joyce and I set to work loading her with powder tins, muskets, bags of biscuits, kegs of pork, a cask of cognac, and my invaluable medicine chest. In the meantime, the squire and the captain stayed on deck, and the latter hailed the coxswain, who was the principal man aboard. <clears throat> Let's see. Who's talking? The squire and the captain stayed on deck. <clears throat> and the latter hailed the coxswain, who was the principal man on board. Mr. Hans, he said, here are two of us with a brace of pistols each. If any one of you six makes a signal of any description, that man's dead. So the captain was talking to Israel Hands. Israel Hands, who was the guy that Long John was talking to, one of the guys Long John was talking to at the apple barrel. They were a good deal taken back taken aback, and after a little consultation, one and all tumbled down by the fore companion, thinking no doubt to take us up on the take us on the rear. But when they saw Redruth waiting for them in the sparred galley, they went about ship at once, a head and a head popped out again on deck. Down dog cries the captain, and the head popped back again, we heard no more, for the time <clears throat> And the head popped back again, and we heard no more for the time of these six very faint-hearted seamen. By this time, tumbling things in as they came, we had the jolly boat loaded as much as we dared. Joyce and I got out through the stern port, and we made for shore again as fast as oars could take us. 
This second trip fairly aroused the watchers along the shore. Lily Bellaro was dropped again just before we lost sight of them behind the little point. One of them whipped ashore and disappeared. I had half a mind to change my plan and destroy their boats, but I feared that Silver and the others might be close at hand and all might be very well lost by trying for too much. We had soon touched land in the same place as before and set to provision the blockhouse. All three made the first journey, heavily laden, and tossed our stores over the palisade. Then, leaving Joyce to guard them, one man to be sure, but with half a dozen muskets, Hunter and I returned to the jolly boat and loaded ourselves once more. So we proceeded without pausing to take a breath, till the whole cargo was bestowed when the two when the two servants took up their position on the blockhouse, and I, with all my power, sculled back to the Hispaniola. That we should have risked a second boatload seems more daring than it really was. They had the advantage of numbers, of course, but we had the advantage of arms. Not one of the men ashore had a musket, and before they could get within range for pistol shooting, we flattered ourselves we should be able to give a good account of a half-dozen at least. The squire was waiting for me in the stern window, all his faintness gone from him. He had caught the painter and made it fast, and we fell to loading the boat for our very lives. Pork powder and biscuit was the cargo, with only musket and cutlass apiece for the squire and, and me and Redruth and the captain. The rest of the arms and powder we dropped aboard in two fathoms and a half of water, so that we could see the bright shining steel far below us in the sun, on the clean sandy bottom. By this time the tide was beginning to ebb, and the ship was swinging round on to her anchor. Voices were faintly heard, hallowing in the direction of the two jigs, and though this reassured us for Joyce and Hunter, who were well to the eastward, it warned our party to be off. Redruth retreated from his place in the gallery and dropped into the boat, and which we brought round to the ship's counter to be handier for Captain Smollett. Hmm. Now, men, he said, do you hear me? There was no answer from the forecastle. It's you, Abraham Gray. To you, it's to you I am speaking. Still no reply. Gray, resumed Mr. Smollett a little louder. I'm leaving this ship, and I order you to follow your captain. I know you are a good man at bottom, and I dare say not one of the lot of you as bad as he makes out. I have my watch here in my hand. I give you thirty seconds to join me. There was a pause. Come, my fine fellow, continued the captain. Don't hang so long in stays. I'm risking my life and the lives of these good gentlemen every second. There was a sudden scuffle, a sound of blows, and out burst Abraham Gray with a knife cut on the side of the cheek and came running to the captain like a dog to the whistle. I'm with you, sir, he said, said he. And the next moment he and the captain had dropped aboard of us and we had shoved off and given way. We were clear out of the ship, but not yet ashore in our stockade. Well, that's the end of the chapter. What did, what happened in that chapter? Do you know? Well, they abandoned the ship. Yeah. So, um, Dr. Livesey heard that Jim had gone aboard with the pirates, and he got really worried about Jim, and um, he wanted to go in, on the shore and see what was happening and try to figure it out. And when he got on shore, he heard that horrible scream, Alan's scream. They all heard it. And he he thought, oh, no, Jim's dead. You know, something happened to Jim. They killed him. 
Um, so he he found the stockade, which is that little house that we were talking about. Um, he found the stockade, and then he heard the scream, and then he decided really quickly that he needed to go back to the ship, and that this the best thing for all the the good guys on the ship to do would be to do what? What do you think they're going to do? Yeah, but what are they doing? Why did they abandon the ship? They abandoned the ship so that they could go to the stockade because they think they'll be better able to defend the stockade than the ship. They think that they have a better chance of fighting off all of the bad bad guys, all of the pirates from the stockade, especially because, do you remember what was running right by the stockade that was a big thing that Dr. Livesey was talking about that they didn't have access to on the boat? What do you drink during the day? Yeah, water. You need water, right, to live. You need water to live. They have other things like wine and um, other things like that, but like they rum. don't like rum, but you can't survive on that. You actually need water. So that was one of the major reasons that they wanted to go. So they're basically going to barricade themselves, which means, so imagine if you were in your room and you decided that you needed to keep everybody out and you shoved a bunch of stuff up against the door and a bunch of stuff up against the windows. That would be barricading yourself in here because nobody could get in. So I don't want you to do that because mommy and daddy need to get in in case we need to help you. I'm not <clears> going <throat> to do that because my yeah. room is perfect like it is right now. Well, that's what you do if, if there was an emergency and we were in danger and we had to stop somebody from getting in the door, then you barricade the door. You put stuff up against it so that nobody else can come in. So they're barricading themselves in the stockade. And there are little like holes in the wall and little spots they can peek out through where they will be able to shoot the pirates if they come near. So that's their plan. They're going to try to hold up in the stockade and um, fight the pirates that way instead of staying on the boat because they're much more exposed on the boat. What is? The uh, doctor and the squire. Exposed. Exposed means that you are open for attack. So like when you're doing your martial arts, what do you do with your hands? Yeah, but what do you cover with your hands? Your neck, your face, your body. If you were standing there with your arms way out to your sides, like stretched way out, yeah. would it be easy for someone to punch you? Yeah, that's exposed. But if I'm yeah, if you're doing an X block or if you have your your arms tucked in front of you. Like then I can do my moves. Mm -hmm. If you're doing your um your stance where you're getting ready to spar. Let me look at that this. is not an exposed position. Wow, that's cool, honey. All right, so we're gonna say goodnight to our podcast birthday podcast pirates. Podcast Thanks for joining us for this very special episode of Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. And, and you I... know why it's special now. Yep, now you know why it's special. And you only can tell yourself and family and friends.
<laughs> That's right. No enemies on the podcast. Arr! Next time we're going to read chapter 17, which is called Narrative Continued by the Doctor, The Jolly Boat's Last Trip. Ooh. All right. Bye-bye.